Now Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Bloomberg Podcast. Markets. I'm Paul Focus Sweeney, alongside my co-host, with Matt Ira Jersey. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, right, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Consult your investment professional for investing. Let's bring on Ira Jersey, Chief U.S. Interest Rate Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence. Ira, give us the latest on what your Federal Reserve plans to do over the next, uh, let's call it six to 12 months. Yeah, the, there's, uh, uh, the opinions are all over the place. My, my view is that the, the Fed is going to go a little bit slower than the market's currently pricing, uh, but also start balance sheet runoff uh, pretty early. So, um, so I think that they might announce in May, might even start in May, uh, with their balance sheet reduction because they really they, they bought so much. And I was actually just looking at some of my spreadsheets this morning here, Paul, and and they, they probably bought about a trillion dollars too much in in terms of their asset buying over the last year. So they have to get rid of that before they could really tighten monetary policy very effectively, in in my view. Just hanging out at home, going through my spreadsheets. Yep. You know, that's the life of a chief fixed income strategist. Um, You know, I read a great piece today. I think it was Cormac Mullen talking about maybe it's too soon to call the end of the bond bull market. And one of the interesting things that he says is um, there are already a substantial amount of rate hikes priced in to treasuries today. If that's the case, and the Fed delivers less than the market expects, um, you'd ex- you know that's 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 bullish for Treasuries. What is priced in, and how do and how do you read what's priced in for for someone so, who doesn't know? Yeah, so, so the easiest way we actually have a very uh, you know simple function on the Bloomberg terminal called WIRP or WARP, some people call it. Um, and if you if you use that, you can see kind of over the next year how much the market's pricing. Um, seven rate hikes, more or less. Yeah, so seven rate oh. hikes uh, by uh, by this time next year. Yeah, exactly. So that's uh, th- that's where I think that the market maybe is getting a little bit too far ahead of itself. We actually put out a note yesterday suggesting that something more realistic would be maybe five hikes along with runoff, um, because I do think that the Federal Reserve does think about um, the uh, runoff as replacing a hike or two, right? They, they, they don't know exactly, you know, what the what the metric is. Is it, you know, uh, five hundred billion dollars of runoff equals uh, equals another hike or something like that? That, that? That's a little bit more of guesswork. But importantly, and and to your point, that we are pricing in uh, more interest rate hikes. The, the the difference between looking at that long term trend that you mentioned, Matt. You, you know, yes, interest rates have been going down basically from nineteen eighty four to present. They, the the long term bond bull market goes down. But if you're a an, an asset manager trying to outperform an index, or you're trying to determine, um, you know, what your total return is going to be over the next twelve months of holding an asset, you, you don't have to think about that long term, you, you know, kind of two generation trend. What you worry about is the cycle. And keep in mind, ten year treasury yields are right now at two percent, one hundred and fifty basis points, one and a half percent higher than where they were a year ago, or actually, I should say, at the beginning of twenty twenty one. So, so you know that is a pretty substantial move, and and interest rates have you've lost money if you held the uh, the treasury index, right? The Bloomberg Treasury index is down, um, you know, five percent since the beginning of last year. Actually, even a little bit more than that. So that's a non-trivial loss in a you know in a bond portfolio, which is supposed to be 
you know, your ballast compared to the rest of your financial assets. Ira, is the Federal Reserve going to hike 50 basis points in March? I, I don't think so. Um, I, I think that they'll, they'll go 25. I think it's much more likely that they, they go every meeting this year and do go seven times as opposed to, um, as opposed to hike initially with a 50 basis point move. Um, it, it is possible if inflation doesn't roll over the way that a lot of uh, um, market participants and economists think that it will, um, that, that maybe you. they'll do a hike, a 50 basis point hike sometime later in the hike cycle. But I just don't think that they'll start with You, you think, I mean, I, I'm guessing you think inflation is going to roll over or growth is going to slow down because otherwise, why wouldn't the Fed do 50 basis points, hike at every meeting, and then not just let the balance sheet run off, but actually sell assets? You know, well, if, we, if we're stuck at 7.5%, people are so, freaking so, out. Yeah, yeah. So, so we won't be stuck at 7.5%. I mean, just base effects alone, if you're talk, looking at year-over-year inflation, um, inflation will be lower for four or five months from now. The question is how much lower, right? Will we, will we be trending from 8, 8%, which, you know, we could get seen 8% print. It's not out of the question, especially with what oil's done recently. Um, but, but if we get an 8% print, the question is, will we be at, at 4% or 5% at the end of the year, right? So, so how is that glide path going to go? And which would be harsh, even, by the way. That's 4 or 5% at the end of the year on a 6% number from the year before, right? Yeah, but at the same time, keep in mind we were at one and a half percent inflation for a decade, right? So that was good. You know, in, in, in a way, <laughs> that was good. Things. Remember what Reagan yeah. said about inflation? What yeah, sure. But at, and yes, this is this is the question that it has to be answered before we know what that end game is, right? Like, is is seven hikes going to be what uh, what it takes? Look, the the bond market right now is telling you there's going to be a recession next year. Let me say that again. The bond market is telling you there's going to be a recession next Whoa, year. Whoa, that's not fun. Curves are flat, um, and and this is where this is where this the, you know the Fed making a policy mistake. Like the market's already priced for the Fed to make a policy mistake. Okay. So we're, we're already priced for twos tens to be basically at zero um, at this time next year, which is very consistent with the market right. thinking the Fed's going to be done and we're going to have a recession. Right. I'm looking for when. I can't find when, but Reagan said that inflation is as violent as a mugger, as frightening as an armed robber, and as deadly as a hitman. <laughs> All right, Ira Jersey, Chief U.S. Interest Rate Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence. Bond market calling for a recession. We were talking with Ira Jersey in the last uh, segment. He mentioned WIRP, WIRP. Put that into the Bloomberg, and it shows you that uh, the markets are pricing in seven rate increases by the end of the year. What is a fixed income manager to do in that kind of environment? Well, let's check in with Kevin Nicholson, Global Fixed Income Co-CIO and co-head of the investment committee at Riverfront Investment Group located in lovely Richmond, Virginia, home of the University of Richmond Spiders. Uh, Kevin, thanks so much for joining us here. Given that interest rate backdrop, how are you guys positioning your portfolios? Uh, thanks for having me, Paul. Uh, we continue to, to position our portfolios in such a way that we're moving further and further uh, up the curve, so to speak. So we're buying on the short end of the curve because as we're seeing the curve flatten, it doesn't really make sense to take on that duration risk in, in your portfolio. Um, and so what we have uh, constantly been doing is we've looked for some spread, getting some a little bit of additional spread on the front end of the curve and buying short-term corporates and, and some high yield opportunistically. 
Um, but one of the things that we have not been doing is uh, going, you know, beyond about five years out on the curve because we really don't need to at this point. Um, but overall, because we run balanced portfolios, we have been um, underweight fixed income pretty substantially relative to our benchmarks in, in those balanced portfolios. And we've uh, seen um, a Bank of America survey yesterday showed us that credit investors were in kind of sell everything mode. Goldman Sachs was recommending um, you reduce your exposure to credit and go to cash. Is this the end, you think, of the uh, bond bull market that we've seen since the early 80s, or is this a mini bear market, as some have been describing it? I would say it's probably a mini bear market in the sense that I think that, you know, by the end of the year, we'll see a two and a half on the 10 year. Um, but I don't think that we're going to retrace what we have seen occur over the last, you know, 20 years. Uh, you know, I've been in the business 30 years, and I think that uh, when I started, uh, the tenure was at right about a 734 or 735. Um, and do I think that we're going to retrace all of that? Absolutely not. Um, I but I do think that we're going to go higher. Uh, we are probably, like I said, see you know, two and a half uh, by year end. Kevin, I think the consensus on the street is that inflation will kind of peak, I don't know, in the next several months and then moderate remainder of the year. Are, are you in that camp? If not, why? I had been in that camp. You know, my thoughts were that uh, inflation was going to peak in the first half of this year and then moderate to around between two and a half and three percent. Uh, thus far, uh, I would say that we have been uh, wrong on that uh, front. And, you know, I think that uh, it might be consensus that it's going to peak. But right now it's a hope and a prayer, because uh, as you've seen, you know, headline inflation coming out at seven and a half percent. We saw PPI uh, this morning um, that was really high. And so there's inflation everywhere. Um, but the one thing that is all, that we believe in is that high prices uh, will uh, solve the high prices problem. And so as prices continue to go up, I think that, you know, we're going to kill some of the demand out there. And so that may help mitigate uh, the inflation risk that we're seeing. So hopefully uh, by, you know, midsummer, we will start to uh, make uh, see inflation peak here. All right, Kevin, thanks so much for joining us. Kevin Nicholson, their global fixed uh, income co-CIO and co-head of invest the investment committee as well at Riverfront Investment Group talking to us about the fixed income markets. Looking at the yield curve here, I got the 10-year Treasury up five basis points, 2.04%. The 30-year up six basis points, 2.35% on the 30-year. So rates moving higher. Uh, let's get an angle on how you might play the fixed income markets in 2022, given that this Federal Reserve has been very clear that it will be raising rates. We check in with Hugh Roberts, head of analytics for Quant Insights. Hugh, thanks so much for joining us here. What is your bond market outlook for 2022? Hi, thank you very much for having me. Um, at the moment, we have our models. We rely on kind of macro inputs to give a kind of quantitative perspective um, on all asset classes. And looking at U.S. fixed income at the moment, then the moving yields has slightly got ahead of itself on our metrics. Um, and anecdotally, adding into that, I think, you know, one one story that might just play into that is if you start looking at just how much the flattening of the yield curve has happened in coupon space and then looking at the shape of the euro dollar strip, 
you see the deferred contracts actually starting to speculate about rate cuts. So while at the moment markets are talking about the Fed hiking this year and next, the market's actually already moving on to the next narrative, which is at what point do they fear a proper kind of mistake and a reversal in the policy stance and easing once again. You know, how far away from that are we? I mean, it's difficult, of course, to forecast um, into the future the further away you get. And and for now, we're looking at a 7.5% inflation print. We had PPI come out hotter than expected today. Um, and there's no sign that we're um, in a recession other than the, you know, implications of a flattening yield curve. Yeah, well, some of the um, – I mean, if you look at some of the, like, Atlanta um, – Fed GDP now, that had a sharp move earlier. Uh, most of the models that are kind of more forward-looking, that are kind of more credit impulse type of nature, or financial conditions indicators, do suggest that the story from the, the, the flattening of the yield curve is true, that you know, the big fiscal stimulus we saw last year um, is going to fall off or get a kind of cliff-edge effect there. So I think there are quite a few of the more forward indicators um, that do suggest the data could be struggling in the near term. The consumer confidence data yesterday did not make pretty reading. Um, but yes, I, I, listen, the, the whole inflation debate is absolutely front and center. And I, I, I don't think team transitory has completely thrown in the towel. I think there's a, a large residual of the market who are still in team transitory. It's just that they define transitory in quarters rather than in months and you know they think that we need to wait till probably the middle part of this year before you start to see things roll back over again hugh does the flattening of the yield curve suggest a recession to you i think you have to be very very careful the because you have to rephrase that question to my mind an inversion of the yield curve yes um it is consistent with um with recessionary conditions it does depend on whether you're looking at twos tens fives thirties uh, whether you look at govies or swaps or OIS, um, there are you know little nuances you can take on that front. Um, but the inversion of the curve does have a good um, back record of being consistent with recessionary conditions for sure. A flattening of itself, but where the curve stays positive, no. That won't stop the market speculating about it because obviously it's about the journey to the end game. But you, you really have got to wait till you see curves go negative before you can really start kind of increasing your, your forecast for recession in a material way. Well, but we're so close, right? What are we looking at? A 40 basis point spread between twos and tens right now. And the Fed hasn't even begun its rate hike cycle. If you look at rate hike cycles over the past decades, um, the the curve always flattens more in a, in a, in a, in a rate hike cycle. So if we're going to see any more flattening, inversion is next. Yeah, no, I agree, but we have got that 40 bits cushion, uh, and it will take time to get there. That's my, my point really just on the reality of inversion versus the flattening when you're in a positive upward sloping yield curve. And then I guess the other point to throw into the mix really is just the degree to which financial conditions have tightened already. I mean, the move in real rates is phenomenal. The repricing of the front end of the, the yield curve, you know, the two-year notes or the euro-dollar strip, whichever metric you want to use, uh, the widening in credit spreads. You know, the widening in credit spreads is a tough one. If you look on a one-year chart, it looks pretty darn dramatic. You look on a 10-year history, and really it's just a blip. But we have seen a 
sharp tightening of financial conditions. And the, the other, it's slightly cliched, but I think it is a truism. The other thing to throw into the mix is that it's less about levels. It's also about the speed of the journey. So, you know, if we mm. have a sharp flattening of the yield curve that happens in two weeks, yes, so, the Fed are going to sit up and take notice. But so, if it happens over a prolonged period, less so. So, so many of the things you just said reminded me of the Jean-Claude Trichet ECB. Is <laughs> the likelihood of a turnaround of, a, of an about face after uh, a little bit of tightening um, higher for the ECB than it is for the Fed? Um, oh, that's a good question. Um, the, the difficulty this time, of course, is that we haven't in a lot of people's recent lifetime seen inflation like this. You know, th this is a complete game changer having these levels of price pressures. And I think you know, the, the way the markets have thought about it, at least in the equity markets, you know, this kind of concept of restriking the Fed put for U.S. equities at a lower level makes complete sense. We have to reprice given these conditions that we're seeing on the inflationary front. In terms of Fed versus the ECB, I mean, I think most market participants right. will always view the ECB as a laggard, um, a that they are so petrified of the euro being yep. too strong and, and stifling them that they will always go second. All right, Hugh, thanks so much for joining us. Hugh Roberts, head of analytics uh, at Quad Insights, giving us his thoughts on interest rates. Well, Matt and I, we've been focusing on the supply chain challenges. It is a global issue for businesses really across the board. And you hear these quarterly earnings calls, companies are calling it out left and right. Uh, let's get a sense of what it means in the critical food business. Andre Menezes, co-founder and CEO of NextGen Foods and Tyndall joins us. Andre, thanks so much for taking the time. First, just tell us what NextGen Foods and Tyndall do. What are you guys up to? Hi, Paul. Hi, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here with you uh, right now and talking to you. So NextGen Foods is the company behind Tingle, our plant-based chicken brand. And uh, it's a company that was established in Singapore. And in less than a year, we are already in Singapore, Hong Kong, Dubai, Amsterdam, and coming to the U.S. right now. So where do you sell uh, this stuff? I've noticed walking around Trader Joe's that there seems to be um, plant-based or, you know, uh, vegan versions of pretty much everything from cheese to meatballs. Um, what, are, what are your uh, sales points? Well, we actually have a slightly different strategy. We start with uh, chefs. We call it gastronomy first. And we start with the, the most trendy restaurants and chefs because we do believe that they play a role in um, showing consumers that plant-based foods can be really um, deliver that great food experience that we usually have at nice restaurants and uh, behave at the highest level of gastronomy. What you see out there, unfortunately, today are mostly only nuggets and tenders, which are nothing wrong with that. Um, but we do believe that uh, we can do better and we can really um, have a product that caters to the highest level of um, food experience. So is that a... Give us a sense of kind of, kind of like, is it restaurants and what types of restaurants are you selling into? So, yes, it is restaurants. Uh, around the world, we have restaurants serving Tingle in many different shapes and formats uh, as per the preparation of the chefs. Um, it's extremely versatile. Therefore, they can really prepare as they prefer. And um, the profile of restaurants that we have right now would range from you know, fine dining Michelin stars all the way to casual neighborhood um, restaurants with their, uh, you know, their own chef creations in-house. And they maybe multiple units, like five, ten up to 40 units. That's what we have been seeing around the world right now. The Gray Dog is a restaurant here, Orchard Grocer. Exactly. Um, what Just What I Needed 
in LA, Miami's little Brazil. So we, we have uh, some of these restaurants here. What kind of growth are you looking at? Uh, what kind of growth are you forecasting? Um, we are all about creating a, the most meaningful impact in the food system we can. And uh, I mean, I came from the from the poultry industry, and while the meat industry has served as well in the last few decades to really provide protein to humanity, we believe that there's a better technology to produce what we like, which is basically the ingredients, uh, and we do it without the birds. So our ambition is to take a relevant share out of the birds uh, on the chicken industry and uh, provide consumers with a more sustainable, equally delicious, and as nutritional as, or even better than, than, than chicken. That's our goal. I got to say, have you seen uh, the film Baraka, Paul? No. I ask. I always ask this, and you, you never go and watch it. Have you seen this film, Andre Baraka? It's a 1992 documentary. There's no, um, there's no dialogue. Um, they just have a three-part series where they show um, city life, a production, I think, of cigarettes, and then a, a, a poultry factory. And it just makes you never want to eat chicken again. When you look at can't how, imagine I miss this. When you look at how factory um, farms, uh, I guess, raise, although it seems like the wrong word, and produce chicken, it's just horrible. Oh, but, of course— it tastes so good. You know, Andre, how do you replicate the deliciousness of a Chick-fil-A with um, plant-based proteins? Now, you're absolutely right. Um, in the, I haven't watched the movie, but I, I will. Um, what I can tell is that I have worked for over seven years in the poultry industry. And I think what happens is that we, um, as consumers, as meat lovers, um, we like the ingredient. I think that's as you said, it's so delicious, right? And, you know, it's nutritious, it's delicious, it's fibrous, versatile. Chicken is the only global um, animal protein, truly global and really local everywhere. So we recognize that from a consumer perspective. But as you said, uh, I also don't know anyone who went to a poultry factory, including, you know, all of us who came from the industry, who goes to a poultry factory and get out of it saying that they're craving chicken or any animal um, after seeing the process in which we get the animals from. It's really... Um, something that it, it's, you know, it's not sustainable, it's not efficient, and it's time for us to improve that. How we do that is very simple. Actually, it's harder to justify the animal farming, if you think about it, than it is to, to, to just explain how we get, you know, soy, water, coconut fat, sunflower oil. Through, you know, process and technology, we just transform that in what we want. We want the fibers, we want the taste, we want the fat. Right. And for none of that, we need an animal in between. I guess it's just that we kind of take it for granted, but right. it doesn't make any sense for us to just keep raising billions and billions of animals just to get a little bit of meat out yep. of each one of them. All right, Andre, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Interesting part of the food chain. Andre Menezes, co-founder and CEO. Menezes. Menezes. Andre, you. is it Menezes? It's Menezes. And yes, thank Menezes. you so much for the chat. I'm very happy that everyone listening to us right now, they can effectively try Tindle ordering on Gold Valley anywhere in the U.S. prepared by Chef uh, Chad Rosenthal in the Moto Fresh yep. Chicken Storefront. All right, Andre, thank you so much. We really appreciate that. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at PT Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.